Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We uh, continue the, the Margins series today. Today I'm going to talk about something that you might hear and think, well, that's not going to mean anything to me. Um, don't think that way, please. We're going to talk about professional margin. I want to talk to specifically those of you who are in the marketplace or in the workforce, which in this room is an awful lot of you. In our first service, we have an awful lot of retired folk. And I'll tell, if, if you're in the room this morning and you're retired or you're, you're a little older than the rest of us, then, then here's what I would say to you. Don't listen to this and think, well, that doesn't apply to me. Because you're going to hear some great biblical wisdom today. And you're going to be able to download that wisdom and store that away and help your kids or help your grandkids one of these days to understand this for them. And, and uh, it's, it's going to be a biblical principle that we're going to learn, and I think it's going to be very helpful for all of us, especially those of us who are in the workforce. Um, I want to talk today about how do you take these principles we've been studying in the Margin series and, and, and all these things we've been talking about, and how do you restructure and reorganize your time with the office or with the company or, organi- or organization that you're with so that you, you do things, you do more things in less time You have less stress, and maybe you have more money. Now, I think that would be three things that we would all be very interested in, to be able to do more things in less time, to have less stress, and to, at the end of the day, have more money. Today, I want to talk about one simple principle. It's found in the Bible, believe it or not, that will give us a context for developing margin in the marketplace. Now, if you're like me and most people, The tendency in work world is to be pressed to the limit, to be pushed out to the very edge where we have too much to do and we can't get enough done, right? You're just constantly taking on more stuff and we're stressed out and we don't have any emotional margin and um, we're pressed emotionally. And of course, that spills over into what we're like when we get home at the end of the day, which makes us sometimes not a lot of fun to be around when we come home. All at the same time, we're spending lots and lots of time and financially we don't seem to get rewarded for the time and energy that we're investing in the jobs and in our company, especially if you own the company or if you're if you're the boss. So today we could talk about a lot of things, but I want to look at one simple principle that is found both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It is alluded to throughout the scriptures, and we're going to look at the Old Testament this morning, and I'm just going to give you a heads up. While I'm talking about this, some of you will be tempted to argue with me, and you're going to say in your mind, well, yeah, Brett, if I had your job, then I could do that. Or if I owned the company, then maybe that would work for me. Or if I was an executive, that would make sense for me. If I worked in a certain department. But but Brett, you know, that's not applicable to me. That's going to be your temptation this morning. But I just want you to listen to the whole message, and I want to give you a target to shoot for professionally, okay? Um, I want to paint the best bullseye I can so that you can, in your professional life, kind of draw back and take aim at that target and say, that's what I want to get to. Understanding that it may not be something that you're able to do this week. It may not be something you're able to do in the next month or two or several months. It may take you years. You may have to even change jobs in order to achieve what it is that I'm talking about today. I'll let you be the judge. But I think at the end of the day, you're going to hear it and go, you know what? I maybe wouldn't have thought about it like that, but that kind of makes sense. Uh, That's kind of my goal. All I want to do is just give you a goal and paint a picture of what should be and could be professionally as we look at Scripture together and see how God has given us this, really this unbelievable insight on how to gain professional margin. 
uh, regardless of whether you own the company or not. And, and just let me say this before I get started. I'm, I'm going to talk about being a better employee. And I know when I say that, one of the things that's going through your mind is, I don't want to be a better employee. Right? That's what you think. It's a job, Brett. I don't want to be a better employee. And can I just tell you that you sound like your 10-year-old when you do that? All right? We, we at Cross Lane, our mission statement around here is bringing people to Jesus. We take it seriously. Your, your workplace is a mission field. Even if they won't let you talk about Jesus, your workplace is a mission field. I'm sending you into a mission field every single week. I want you going into your mission field with a good attitude. I want your employer to have a good employee on his hands. I know they don't treat you well. I know it's a dark place. Listen, I've worked the kind of jobs you work. I haven't always just been a pastor, okay? I've worked in factories. I know how dark it is. I know the language that gets spoken. I know the jokes that get told. I know that there's hardly anything spiritual in your place of employment. I get all of that. But you belong to God. And Jesus Christ died to save your soul, and he calls you to be a light to a dark world. So I'm sending you into your workplace to be a better employee. Do not walk out of here and say, well, I'm not even going to do that. No. Listen to what I've got to say today. Try to find some professional margin. It may just be the case that if you can find some professional margin, you might, hi-ho, actually enjoy work. Can you imagine that? So we're going to look at it today and see if we can't come away with some things that will help us. Let's open our Bibles. We're going to go way back into the Old Testament, into the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 18. Moses is the main character in the book of Exodus, and even if you haven't read the book, you have seen the movie, right? We've all seen the movie. I remember when I was a little kid, we would come home from church on a Sunday night excited because Charlton Heston was going to beat up on Yule Brenner and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. It was awesome. We were going to see the Red Sea part, and we were going to watch those Israelites get away from those nasty Egyptians, and no offense if you're from Egypt today, but, um, but you know all about Moses. You know all about Pharaoh and, and uh, you know, him going in, Moses going in saying, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no, and Moses said yes, and God said yes, and Moses and God won, and Pharaoh lets the, the Israelites go, and, and Moses leads the nation of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. Now here's what you need to know and understand, and it would be impossible to understand this without actually being there, but this was a nation of slaves, okay? This group of people that is going to be following Moses is a nation of slaves. They are uneducated, they likely cannot read, um, they, they, they just, they've, they've just been under the watch care of the Egyptians and they've, they've worked very hard for the Egyptians for most of their adult life, if not all of it. And nobody knows for sure, but there were somewhere between 200,000 and a million of these people. And we don't know a hard and fast number, but somewhere between 200,000 and a million, and they were all slaves. They had no government, they had no organization, there was no social structure, and get this, they had no law, okay? God has not given the Ten Commandments yet, and so all they had was Moses and God and their freedom. Pretty much that's it. So for four months... They journeyed out of Egypt, and they came to Mount Sinai, and pretty soon, it hasn't happened yet, but pretty soon Moses is going to go up on Mount Sinai, and he is going to receive the Ten Commandments, the law. He is going to receive that from God, and he's going to carry that back down to the people, and it's going to say, here's how you're to live your life. Here's how you are to behave. 
But at this point, they didn't have any of that. All they had was Moses. So consequently, all these people looked to Moses for structure. They looked to Moses for order and helping them settle their disputes. So imagine that all these people are there and all that, they, that they've got going on, all their disputes, all their struggles, it all falls on Moses. Can you just imagine? 200,000 to a million people and Moses is trying to handle all that. Well, they get to Mount Sinai and Moses' father-in-law comes to visit him. Woohoo! So now Moses' father-in-law, he's not an Israelite. He's, he doesn't live in the area, but he's, of course, he's very proud of his son-in-law Moses. You know, have you met my son-in-law Moses? Can you imagine that conversation at work, right? This is my son-in-law Moses. My, my son-in-law is Moses. I don't know what your son-in-law does. Mine just led almost a million people out of Egypt, okay? So, um, of course, he's very proud. He comes in to see his son-in-law and comes to visit and sees his daughter and sees his grandkids, and they have dinner together. He wakes up the next morning, they have some breakfast, and he decides he's going to go to work with Moses. He's going to, it's like take your father-in-law to work day, and Moses drags this man named Jethro along with him. No, Jethro was not introduced with the Beverly Hillbillies. There was another Jethro, okay? Um, so, so this is Jethro, the father-in-law, and, and he's going to go to work. He wants to see what this mighty man of God does all day right? So this man who confronted the Pharaoh, the most powerful king in the whole world, and, and he's going to see what his son-in-law does for a job. And that's where our story picks up in Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. Here's what we read. The next day, Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people. And they stood around him from morning till evening. Now, how would you like to have that job? He gets there early. He sits down on his little stool and all these people who have a dispute or they have some kind of struggle, they're bringing it up, and they're walking up to Mo- Moses, and there's, you know, they're all gathered around. It's as far as the eye can see, and he's there from morning until evening settling these disputes, trying to give counsel, trying to judge and settle things with all these people who have come out of Egypt, these Israelites. Verse 14, when his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you're doing for the people? In other words, son, I've come a long way to see you. I'm proud of you. I mean, but this is unbelievable. What in the world do you think you're trying to do? Why do you sit alone as the judge with all these people sitting around you from morning till evening? So Jethro is like appalled. He can't believe what he's seeing. You know, he sees the great and mighty Moses, this guy that went toe to toe with the most powerful man in his world. And the people are lined up as far as you can see. And Moses is sitting there all day trying to figure out, you know, just... Moses, she says it's her cow, but it's really my cow. I got this cow from him. And Moses is like, next. You know, well, Moses, you know, I had two sheep and I came back and there was only one sheep. And Moses, you know, Moses is like, next. All day long. That's all he's dealing with is that kind of stuff. Moses, these are my two sons. Do you think you could help me with my two sons? And, you know, Moses is like, oi, oi, oi. You know, I mean, just this whole what in the world. And Jethro sees this and thinks to himself, you got to be kidding me. I mean, this is what he's going to do all day long? So he, he looks at Moses and says as much, Moses, are you kidding? This is, this is your job? This is how you spend your days? Well, Moses kind of pushes back in verse 15. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will. In other words, this is a God thing, all right? This isn't just me. This is what God has called me to do. Because the people come to me 
to seek God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decree and instructions. So Moses says to Jethro, look, the reason I'm doing this is because it's what God's called me to do. I'm doing God's will. I'm I'm doing God's work here. And Jethro's thinking, well, that might be God's will, but that ain't the way God wants you to do it. This is crazy. It's ridiculous what you're doing. I mean, you're going all day long like this. Nobody can do that. You're just sitting there day after day after day, listening to all these people bicker and go back and forth selling these disputes. Hello, Moses, you can't keep doing this. You just can't keep doing this. And this little dilemma for Moses points to something that easily becomes a dilemma for each of us. Now, in just a minute, we're going to talk about it. It's a principle that is going to solve this for us. But you see, as this relates to us, when you began your job, or when you started with the company or whatever, when you got the promotion, when you became the leader, when you went in with that idea, when you bought the company, some of you own your own business, You said, I'm going to do whatever is necessary to be successful. I'm going to do whatever it requires to get the job done. And it was both necessary and what you desired. You got there and you said, you know what, pilot on me. I want to be the employee that you can trust. I want to be the employee that's going to work hard for you. I want you to believe that you you can count on me. I want my board or whoever's looking over me or my boss or whoever, I want them to look at me and say, you know what, they have really got their act together. I mean, we can give them all kinds of responsibility because they can handle it. I mean, look at the way they're working. And so you wanted someone to look at you and say, here's someone we can trust, and here's someone we can give some responsibility. And so it is natural and necessary to do everything that comes our way. It is natural and necessary to do everything that gets stacked up on your desk to do, right? It's natural and necessary. It's just natural and necessary to do it all because we want people to know we're hard workers. We want, them, we want them to know that we're the ones that are going to stay late and we're going to get there early and it's going to be necessary and often at times because there's going to be nobody else to do it, right? Some of you know what that's like. It's like, if I don't get this done, nobody else is going to do it. So maybe you start your own company or your own organization. You're, you're turning out the lights. You're filling the copier, right? You're making all the calls. You're You know, you're getting extra keys made, you're calling the repair people, you do it all because it is necessary and there's nobody else to do it because it all falls on you. But what begins as something that's natural and necessary, if you continue in that mode, eventually is going to become the thing that gets in the way of your own productivity. And if you continue to do everything that comes your way, to say yes to every opportunity, to say yes to every project, And all the marginal and peripheral kind of things that just kind of crowd their way in and end up on your desk somehow, what happens eventually is you diminish your ability to do the job. And you can't do the job that you were hired to do, and your productivity is going to suffer. And over time, people will begin to look at you, and and they will say things like this. They'll say, you know what? She used to be really good at that job, but she's not anymore. You know, he used to be a rock star at that. I don't know what happened. He used to be really competent at that. Now, I'm starting to wonder if we should let him go because he just doesn't seem to have it. And somewhere along the way, we have to take the advice that Jethro gives to Moses, and we have to learn to focus. And here's why. Here are two things that I know about you. Number one is this. You are not really, really good at a whole lot of things, okay? My name's Brett. I'm your friend, all right? So... You're pretty good at a lot of things. 
They're pretty good. There might be a lot of things that you would look at and say, you know, I'm pretty good at that. I, I, I can do that. But you're really, really good at just one or two things. There are a couple of things that when you do them, ninja is the word that they would use to describe you, right? It's like, I'm really good at that. Really, really good at it. I'm pretty good at a bunch of things, but when it comes to really, really good, not as many, maybe just a couple. In other words, if I were to look at what you could potentially do, you know, sell, close deals, recognize um, opportunities, customer service, answer the phones, um, make calls, organize, administrate, of all the things that you could potentially do, of all those things, there are only a couple of those things that you're really, really good at. And when you're in your group, when you're in your sweet spot, that thing that you do and you almost even don't need to think about it, you're so good at it, just kind of, and people stand around and watch you do it and they're amazed, right? Is there that thing that you can do and you don't even have to think about it? But other people watch you do it and they can't understand how you do it. And they say to you, how did you do that? And you don't even know how to answer the question. It's like, I don't know how to teach somebody else how to do it. I just, just comes naturally for me. And it is so natural for you when you're working in your groove and working within your strengths it's just something that people become amazed at when they watch you. But you're really, really good at only a couple of things, even though you're asked to do a lot of things. The second thing I know about you and your work situation is this. Of all that is expected of you, of all the things that end up on your desk, of all the things that are required, there are only a couple of those things that really, really make the organization a lot better right? There's a lot of things that fall to you. There's a lot of things that call for your attention, but there's only a couple of things that when you do those really move the ball down the field for your organization. That is, if you didn't get the other eight things done, if you just focused on the, the two things that you're really good at, you would become indispensable to the company for which you work. But as it always happens in every growing organization, things tend to get added. And could you do this? And could you add this? And could you call them? And can you go over and see that? And could you, could you, could you, could you? And before you know it, you're doing an awful lot of things and you're like, man, I'm, I'm not even all that good at some of this stuff. And before long, you're doing a dozen things instead of the two or three that you should be doing. And then the company isn't nearly as successful as it could be because there's wasted motion and wasted space. And here's the key. When you marry your skill set, these one or two things that you do really, really well with those one or two things in the job description that really move the ball down the field for your company, when you can marry those two things up, you will find professional margin. And I'm going to explain in just a minute how to do that, what ultimately is the goal. But really, here's the picture I want to paint for you. I want you to figure out what is it that I do better than anything else I do? What is that thing that really suits me? What is that thing that when I'm doing it, I, I mean, I even enjoy it. You know, there's certain things that, even around the house, there's certain things that you might look at as work when I'm doing those things. It's like, I enjoy doing that. <clears throat> now, that's different for everybody in the room. What is the thing that God just made you that way to be good at? And how can I marry that particular part of me to the place of responsibility that I hold in this company. How do I do that? How do I figure out what I'm good at, really good at, and then come over here, and these are, this is my job description, 
but these are the two things that they really need me to do. How do I marry them up? <coughs> Excuse me. Because when you can match those two things up, that's when you begin to excel professionally. That's when things get great for your company, and that's when things get great for you. But do you know what you're going to say when you hear me say all that? There's something in the back of your head as I'm saying all that, and you're saying, well, Brett, I just can't do that. And remember, I want you to understand, you may not be able to do this today. You're probably not going to do this this week, and you probably aren't going to get it done in the next couple of of months. I'm just trying to paint a bullseye on the target for you so that you can know if I'm truly going to achieve margin in this area of my life, and you've been talking to me throughout this whole margin series, um, there's a reason we preach this series over and over, because it's very practical. You don't even have to be a Christian to get something out of the margin series. This is helpful for everybody. But you've been coming to me and you've been saying, Brett, this margins thing, I mean, it's made a huge difference in, for my wife and I. It's made a huge difference at home. Our money thing is different now. Um, margin is good in every area of your life, especially in your, prof- your professional life. So I'm trying to paint the target for you so that you can aim at it. You are probably not going to get there today. But eventually, eventually, you'd say, Brett, <clears throat> I don't own the company. Or you'd say, Brett, I do own the company, but I have to do it all. I mean, there is nobody else to do it. Again, it's not something you're going to run out of here and do today. But you need to begin to create a category of thinking in your mind so that you can think about what does it look like for me to have professional margin. And again, I'm going to explain how it works in just a minute. Story goes on. Moses has basically said, hey, Jethro, I know you're my father-in-law and all, but I have to do this. This is what God has called me to do. I'm I'm doing God's will. So here's what happens. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. Now you talk about something that would be kind of hard to take if you're Moses. Moses sits there day after day. He's dealing with children. He's dealing with these, these parents and adults and disputes. And at the end of the day, he comes home. He falls in bed. He's worn out. He's like, man. Look at the work I did today. i got to get up and go do that again tomorrow. And his father-in-law comes along and says, what you're doing is not good. That, that would be kind of hard to take. He goes on. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. You ever felt like that at the end of the day? You ever get home and you're totally worn out and someone says to you, hey, did you help your company move the ball down the field today? Did you help your company be successful today? And you would say, you know what? I mean, I know I was at work today, and I answered calls, and I, I, I went from meeting to meeting, and I did all this email stuff, and I had people walking in, and I, I mean, I was busy all day. But I'm really not sure that I was all that productive. I mean, it was just kind of one thing after another. It was just project after project, meeting after meeting, call after call, and I don't know. I, I just know that I'm worn out. Jethro says, you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me. This is his father-in-law, remember. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. Now, imagine this. Especially guys, okay? Guys, if you were checked out, I need you to lock in for just a minute, because this hits us. Because guys, we got some egos, don't we? 
right? We got an ego. And you're the big guy. If you're Moses, you went toe-to-toe with the most powerful man in the world and you won. You held up a stick and the sea parted. And you want to you look at all your Israelite followers and go, y'all see that? I'm the man. I'm awesome. You know, I got a hotline to God. He's working through me. I mean, you throw your stick down and it became a snake and ate up all the Pharaoh's magicians and all their stuff. And you reek of God. You're unbelievable. And you're about to go up on a mountain and God is going to give you the Ten Commandments and you're going to walk down and hand them to the people and say, this is the law. This is, this is what people are going to use to govern themselves for thousands of years to come and God is going to give it to you. Okay, that's who Moses is. That's what Moses has got going on. You are such a big deal. And along comes your father-in-law. What you're doing is not good. Now you listen to me because I got it all figured out. Is it just me or does that just sound like Seinfeld? Introducing Jethro as Seinfeld. um, And introducing Brett just went all ADD and went way off script. Um, So you got this guy. He's tended, he's tended sheep his whole life, okay? He's never been to the big city. He's never really led anything. He, he's nowhere near got the responsibility that, that Moses has got. He's never been a slave. He's completely ignorant when it comes to the context in which you're working. He goes to take your father-in-law to work day one day and watches you for one day, and now he's got all this advice for you. And he says, let me tell you what you need to do, buddy. I got this all figured out. Let me just ask you guys. You think you'd push back a little bit? You think there wouldn't be a part of you that would go, okay, (laughs) back up. I'm just telling you, I know me. I would buck. I would buck. You know, I live in a world where most of you think that you could do a better job than me running the church, and some of you are willing to be bold enough to tell me that once in a while. The rest of you think that, you just don't say it. Um, You wouldn't want to preach, okay? You probably wouldn't want to preach, but when it comes to running the organization, you probably think you could do it better. You know, pastor, what you ought to do is this, and what we ought to do is that. And, 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 but you know what? Sometimes the advice I get is very, very good. Sometimes the advice is really good, but there's something that rises up in me because I'm a man, got that ego thing and pride starts working it's like whoa before you tell me how to run my deal you need to have walked in my shoes a little bit you know what that is pride that's what that is you can't possibly teach me anything after everything that i've done you can't possibly know until you've done what i've done that is nothing more than pride and it is in all of us And yet, here's big-time Moses. I mean, Jethro, I don't see anybody lining up behind you to follow you. It's like Maxwell said, he who thinketh he is a leader and hath no followers is only taking a walk, right? (laughs) And Jethro comes along, Moses, I think I can help you out. And here's what I love. Moses had the courage, and Moses had the humility to listen. The courage and the humility to listen. 
And the advice that Jethro gave him, even though it must have seemed unbelievably impractical, people are waiting in line for me, Jethro. I I don't even have time to have this conversation. Do you see how long the line is? I can't do this with you, Jethro. But Moses listened, and in listening, made a decision that enabled him to apply the principle that we all need to apply today. Here's what he said. Here's what Jethro said. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Jethro identifies for Moses the two things that Moses has to do. In other words, Moses, there are a lot of things that you could do. Here are the the two things that only you can do. Moses, here's what you've got to recognize. You've got to organize your life around these two things, not 50 things, not 20 things, two things. Two things. Number one, you are God's representative to settle disputes, okay? That's your responsibility. Number two, verse 20, teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. In other words, you're responsible for their disputes to get those settled and you're to teach them the way God would want them to live. Moses, that's your job. That's what you're responsible for. Now let's talk about the way you're implementing that. Verse 21, but, in other words, you're not going to do all that. Okay, just because it's your responsibility doesn't mean you're going to do it all. Ultimately, in this church, I'm responsible for what happens in youth ministry. I'm not doing youth ministry, but it's my responsibility. So Moses, you're not going to do everything, but you're responsible for it. Here's the plan. But select, verse 21, select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you, the simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. That is margin. Verse 23, if you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain. That is margin. And all these people will go home satisfied. That is happy customers. Okay? Moses, you're going to do less. You're going to accomplish more. You're going to do fewer things. And you're going to get more done. It's a win for you. It's a win for the people. It's a win for Israel. It's a win for the organization. It's a win for what God wants to accomplish through you in the world. And then look at verse 24. Love this. I love this. Moses listened. We have lost this in our society. We have lost this. People don't listen anymore. They just talk back. They just push back. We formulate what we're going to say while you're talking. And as soon as you shut up, I'm going to let you have it. Right? That's how we do it. We don't listen anymore. We don't listen when someone's trying to genuinely help us understand something new. Just listen. You don't need to talk back. Just listen. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. Humility will cause you to listen. What do you have to do to gain professional margin can really be summed up in one word. Really, it's, it's about focus. Focus. Less is more. That is, you and I have got to discover what is that thing that allows us to excel, and we have got to figure out a way to marry that 
to our job description and do fewer things so that we can accomplish more. Productivity is not measured in terms of busyness. Productivity is measured when you're able to focus on those one or two things that really make a difference for the company. Another way of saying that is play to your strengths and delegate your weaknesses. There's some stuff you're not very good at. Do what you're good at and delegate what you're not good at. Those things that you're really not good at. John Maxwell taught it to me this way when I was uh, about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. He said, there are certain things that you're really good at. You're an eight or a nine on a scale of one to 10 in those areas. There are some things that you're not very good at and you're maybe a three in those areas. Have you ever had a boss look at you and say, you need to buck up that area that you're not very good at. You need to improve in that area. You ever been a boss and given a, a job review and pointed out someone's weakness and said, you're really not very good at that. You need to get better at that. Wrong advice. Here's the problem. You may be a three over here at this thing on a scale of one to 10. And if you really, really, really work hard and pour yourself into it, maybe you can elevate yourself to a four or a five. You're never going to be a six. God knows you're not going to be a seven or an eight, right? What happens if you delegate that and you pour yourself into the thing over here that you're an eight at? Now you might go up to a nine. Now you might go up to ninja status, right? Hit 10, and everybody stands back and goes, man, would you look at him? But if you spend all your time trying to do things that you're not very good at, if you don't delegate those things and focus on the things that you're really, really good at, you're not really being used the best way for your organization. And you'll spend a lot of time trying to make a weakness a strength, which is a waste of time in the marketplace. The best thing you can do is figure out how God created you to work and to function, marry that with your job description, and then give it everything you've got every day of your life. Play to your strengths, delegate your weaknesses, and in doing so, do you know what you're going to do, spiritually speaking? You're lining yourself up with what God would have you do and what God has created you to be and to get more done with less stress And you're going to have more emotional margin at the end of the day. I'm just telling you, this is going to work. Our elders understand this. Our elders get this. They have hired everything else around me. Okay? Trust me. I I, I know what you're thinking. I can hear your your brains from here. Brett, this is never going to work. You know, that might be the case for you, Brett, but it doesn't work for me. Again, I'm talking about the bullseye on the target. You're not going to get there overnight. This is something that we're kind of trying to move to. Another way to think about this in the corporate world um, and in the home, you know, we talk about, you'll say things like, well, you know, I've just got more things than I can juggle. I've just got too much to juggle. Now, let me illustrate this for you. Here's what I would tell you. I can juggle, okay? I don't know if you knew that or not, but I can juggle. Now, I can juggle three balls. I've tried and tried to juggle four and five balls. I can't do it. If you were to throw another ball into the mix, I can't do it, okay? I can do this. I could even go behind my back, but I won't do that. So I can juggle three balls. If you walk in right now and see me doing this, you say, well, Brett can juggle. But if you walked in and I was trying to juggle four balls or five balls, that's a different deal. And you would see me try to juggle four balls or five, and you'd see balls hit the floor, and you would turn around and leave, and you would say, Brett doesn't know how to juggle. But if you walked in and you saw this, and someone said, hey, does Brett know how to juggle? You'd say, he absolutely knows how to juggle. I saw him do it. Now, here's the thing. 
The issue is not how many, the issue is not competence, okay? I think we've established there's a competence here to juggle. The issue is how many can I juggle? I can't juggle four or five. I can juggle two or three, all right? That's the point. And you're going to work every day, and they're asking you to juggle four and five and six and seven things, and you're not good at that. You're good at two or three things, and if they would just give you those two or three things, you can juggle like nobody's business. But when they give you eight or nine things, and they walk in, and they watch you work, and they say, he's horrible. This is the worst employee we've ever had. No, you're doing the things that you're not good at, and if they could ever focus you into an area where you can juggle the three things that you're really good at, the two things that you really excel at, and give those other things to somebody else, the game changes. See, you've got to figure out a way professionally to get focused on those things that only you can do and that you can do very, very well. And you're probably, if you can do that, you're going to become indispensable to your organization and to your company. And you'll be juggling two or three things, and people will line up outside the door to watch you do those things. They'll say, he's amazing. Did not know he was that good at that job. Look at her. She's unbelievable. Teach us. And you go, I don't know how to teach anybody. I just know how to do these three things really, really, really good. And if you have a good employer... Bosses, listen to me. If you're a boss, if you manage people, if you own the company, if you're overseeing people, you need to train yourself to walk into a room where someone's working and look at the balls on the floor. And and not blame the person who dropped them, but to look at them and work with them and say, you know what, obviously you don't, you're trying to juggle too many things. Let's figure out what you're good at and let's let you juggle those two or three things. I'm going to pick these three or four balls up off the floor. I'm going to carry them into the next room and give them to this guy who's no good at all at these things that you're juggling, but he's great at these. And I'm going to hand those to him. See, we know you can't juggle four and five balls, but we know you can juggle two or three. And you will be more successful and your company will be more successful and you will have margin and here's why. Because you will be in the zone and you will get more done in less time, which means you have time margin. And when you're working in your zone, you're going to get more done with less stress, which means you have emotional margin. And when you're in the zone, when you're able to do those two or three things that really make a difference for the bottom line of your company, then you're going to be rewarded financially and you're going to have financial margin. And when you're happy and successful in your career, you're going, when you're happier, you're more moral. When you're happier, morals come easier for you. You're just a better person when you're happy. Okay, that's just true. I like who I am. I like the way God made me. I'm in my zone. That's when you're going to start to achieve moral margin. So I want to give you three things, and you're like, oh, dear Lord, he's been preaching, now we're getting three things? No, this is real quick, okay? And just know, you're going to listen to these three things, and some of you are going to think, oh, that's perfect. And some of you are going to listen to these three things, and you're going to go, Brett, that is totally impractical for where I work. Again, I'm painting a picture. And it's possible that you can't even do this where you work. You may have to change jobs to be able to do what I'm talking about. And maybe that's something God wants you to do. I don't know. Let me give you these three. Answer this question. What defines success for the person in my position at work? Today at lunch or at some point, what defines success for that person? 
Not what have I been asked to do, not what are my responsibilities that are ending up on my desk, not what is the last project that I was given, not what is the overflow onto my desk. Specifically in your job, what is success for the person who does what you do? And I'll bet you, if you, excuse me, if you wrote down on a three-by-five card what you do best and your boss wrote down on a three-by-five card what he needs done and what, what he thinks you do best, those two things are probably not going to match up. All right? You go in and you say, give me a one sentence, what is success for this company? Ask your boss that. In other words, what's the one thing that, that i got to make sure I'm hitting that over the fence every day when I come to work? Chances are they're probably not going to be the same thing. Because corporately, things just get so out of alignment so quickly. But you need to define and determine with input from the outside, what is the one thing that I don't get any, if I don't get anything else done, what's the one ball I can't afford to have fall on the floor and roll over into the corner? It cannot happen. I cannot drop that ball. What are the, maybe the one or the two things? You need to know that, okay? And if you don't know it, you need to ask somebody what it is. But you need to know that. You may already know what it is. The second thing is this. Write the ideal job description with these parameters in mind. In other words, you've got to sit down and think about the way you're working right now, not, not where you want to be someday, where you are right now. Write down the ideal job description, <clears throat> four or five lines, a paragraph, a half a page. What would the ideal job description with these three things in mind look like? Success for the posi- person in your position, which you've already established, the mission of your organization and your particular skill set. In other words, if I, could, if, if I could do exactly what I knew I was gifted and called to do in this organization, here's where I think I would add the most value to the organization. You write your own job description. Here's what success is. Here's the mission of the organization. Here's what I was designed to do. So, and then you ask your boss, what would be the best position for me in the company? knowing all that, what's the best thing for me to do? And then the third thing is you sit down with your employer and you have a conversation with them and you say to them, you know what, I've been thinking, I really want to continue to see this company succeed and I think I've figured out a way to make the company better and I think I've figured out a way to make me better as an employee. Here's what I'm really, really good at. Here's what you've said is success for the company and here's the mission of the organization would you be willing to help me and work with me to work out a job description? Because I think I could be more valuable to the company if we could rework some things that I'm trying to do. Now, you know what? A reasonable employer, a reasonable employer who in most cases is not going to be able to look at you and say, okay, you start that today. He's probably not going to be able to do that. But a reasonable employer is going to look at you and say, wow, you've been thinking about my company? You've been thinking about how to be a better employee for me? A reasonable employee is going to hear that and say, you know what, we've got you doing six things that you have no business doing. Let's get you focused in on those two or three things that you're really good at. If I'm a boss and an employee comes to me and tells me, I want to be good for your company, you got me doing six things over here I I stink at. I'm going to listen to that. Someone who really understands the nature of business and executing and moving things forward is going to understand that no one is good at everything. Now, I know you know people that think they're good at everything, but nobody's good at everything, right? And Jim Collins taught us in his book, Good to Great, it's about getting the right people, not just getting them on the bus, 
you got to get the right people in the right seats on the bus. If you're an employer, if you're a boss, that's your job. Right people on the bus in the right seat. Now, let's wrap this all up. It's, it's, skip, 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 skip. Okay, let's just, let's just wrap it up. Here's what I would say. How many of you have been on a mission trip with Tracy? I said earlier that the elders have allowed me, um, that the elders understand this where, where we are concerned. The elders have looked at me and said, Brett, in fact, I had an elder one time that said, Brett's really not very good at very many things. <laughs> in fact, it was worse. He said, he said, Brett's really struggles in some areas, and he said, I think God is able to use that to make Cross Lane a much stronger church because they just look at Brett and think, if we don't help him, he's in trouble, <laughs> which is true, and anybody that works with me can tell you that. But here's, here's what our elders understand. Our elders understand that I am really, really good at about three, two or three, maybe four things. And they have said, Brett, we want you to do those three or four things. That's where we want you to focus, and we want you to hire everything else around you. Okay? Consequently, I don't ever, 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 and you don't want me to ever, ever lead a mission trip. Okay? Tracy ninja ninja when it comes to a mission trip can organize like nobody i've ever seen in my life that's why he's here i drive tracy nuts because i'm not organized at all and he drives me nuts because everything's got a place right and sometimes i just like to walk through his office and mess stuff up just for fun but because it just goes crazy but he's a ninja at that i don't get involved in mission trips okay I recruit you to go, and I talk about how good they are, but Tracy leads them. Our band, awesome band. You know what? They don't let me play any. I love music, but I don't play anything on the stage, not even cowbell. You know why? Because I can't, because I'm not any good at it. It's not my job. We hired around that, all right? Last illustration, I'll close. It's baseball season. It's baseball time. It's all wrapping up. We're coming down to the playoffs and the World Series, and Here's what I can tell you. The teams that are really successful in baseball are teams that have really, really good pitchers, and they don't ask them to be great hitters. Now, there are a couple of pitchers in baseball that are great hitters, but by and large, most pitchers stink at hitting, okay? They're no good at it. But you know what the team says? Don't worry about that. We got eight other guys in the American League, we got nine other guys. See, in the American League, they don't even ask the pitcher to pitch to bat. They just ask the pitcher to pitch. And they say, we got nine other guys that can hit. You just pitch. That's all we want you to do. You're great at it. Come out here and pitch. Give it your all. When you're tired, we'll come take you out. See, we get it in baseball. We get it at cross lane. We understand it. You got to get it in your workplace where you got to understand there's two or three things I'm really good at. Maybe three or four. But I'm trying to do 12 at work, and that's not working for anybody. And maybe it's time that you go through those steps I just talked about. You have a conversation with your boss, and you say, boss, listen, I want to be good for the company, but when you have me doing that, I'm no good to the company. How can I do the things that I'm really good at so that I can help this company move the ball down the field? I promise you, you will become a better employee 
and your employer will appreciate it, okay? We're trying to win people to Jesus. What you do in the marketplace matters. Um, I am going to close us in prayer, but I need to know if Craig and Sue Rudisel are here. Would you guys come forward? Um, I got an email this week, or a, a text message, actually. Um, before we close in prayer, I want us to pray as a family over this family. This is Sue Rudisel, and this is her husband, Craig, and I'm not even going to try to attempt the name that I heard. I bet you've got it memorized. Yep. She found out this week she has breast cancer. And it's in the lymph nodes. Am I right about that? The breast and the lymph nodes. The breast and the lymph nodes. Okay, you see how that's just scary. I mean, it's just scary. So, you know, when you're me and you hear that, it's like, man, you want to help what can you do I'm not a doctor I mean again this, this does not fall in my area of expertise I can't I don't know anything about this but I can pray <laughs> you can pray so we're going to pray all right bow with me father I, I just can't even imagine how scary it would be to be Sue and, and that word is is long and it's menacing and it's intimidating. And somehow, you're God in the middle of it. And I don't know what the plan is. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know why. It's what we ask. We ask why, and we, we're not going to get why. I think the questions are probably more like what? God, what, what, what do we do now? What's this mean? What's it mean for you? What's it mean for me as a person who believes in you? And God, the fear that Sue feels today, I pray that you would replace that with your presence and your peace. And I pray that she would become a warrior unlike anything she even knew was possible within her. So that she would be fierce. So that her body would be fierce to fight. And so that anybody that watches this from the outside looking in would look at her and marvel at the peace that she has. And that is not a peace that she can manufacture. That is only a peace that you can place with inside her and within Craig. And I pray that as they walk through this, that you would help them to grow close to one another. I pray that they would grow closer to you. And I pray that they would be such a light to this community, that lives would be changed. And Father, I have no idea what the outcome is. We have no idea what the outcome is. We just lay the whole thing at your feet and tell you that we trust you as our God. And even in this moment, we lift your name above every name to worship you because you are God in the midst of even the worst of news. And we say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I serve him. It is in the powerful, precious, holy name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.